Hi friends, welcome to the FBC Zealand Teaching Podcast. We are a local church in Zealand, Michigan, and we desire to know Christ and to make Him known. We invite you into the same journey with us now as we open the scriptures and as we ask God to teach us and reveal Himself to us in His Word. Thanks for stopping by. Through much of 2022, we looked at the books of Daniel and Revelation in Scripture. And we were looking at uh, how God has worked and will be working through the kingdoms of this world and how he is ultimately going to set up the kingdom of his Messiah. And we are finally drawing very near the end of that study. And... uh, Today we are looking at four major events that come near the end of the book of Revelation, uh, that come near the climax of history. And those events are the glorious return when Jesus Christ rides in on a white horse, literally. I mean, you know, we talk about people figuratively riding in on a white horse. Well, this is Jesus Christ is coming in on a white horse. He is going to conquer the wicked and uh, he is going to set up his kingdom. And that's the second major event is the millennial kingdom. Uh, He's going to rule here on earth for a thousand years and everything's going to be perfect. And then the third major event we're gonna look at today is the final rebellion Because at the end of that thousand years of perfect rule, there's still gonna be people that wanna rebel against God and against Jesus Christ. And so there's gonna be a final rebellion, which will also be defeated. And then we're gonna look at the great white throne judgment, the last major event before the new heaven and the new earth that Pastor Jeremy will be talking about next week. And these four events that we're looking at today are outlined in Revelation chapter 19, verse 11 through chapter 20, verse 15. And so I'll invite you to open to that passage in your Bibles. And let's pray as we um, prepare to take a pretty big bite out of God's word. Our Heavenly Father, We live in a fallen world. And we can look around us and we can see injustice and wickedness and suffering. And Lord, there's times when our hearts cry out, how long, O Lord? Lord, we rejoice that you are going to intervene in history. We're thankful that you are long-suffering, that you want people to repent, that you're not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But we're also thankful, Lord, that there is a time when You will set a line and say, enough is enough. I'm going to straighten out things down there. 
And so we pray with the Apostle John. Even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. And as we look at this passage today, Lord, we pray that you would grant us understanding hearts. I ask in Jesus' name, amen. Well, the first major event that we're going to look at is in Revelation chapter 19, verse 11 through 20, verse 3. This is the biggest chunk of text we're going to be biting off this morning. And it talks about the glorious return of Jesus Christ at the end of the tribulation. And so I'd like to invite you to stand as we read this portion of God's word, as I read this portion of God's word in your hearing. Revelation chapter 19, verse 11 through chapter 20, verse 3. It says, Now I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. And he who sat on him was called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes were like a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no one knew except himself. He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. Now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, that with it he should strike the nations, and he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Then I saw an angel standing in the sun, and he cried with a loud voice, saying to all the birds that fly in the midst of heaven, Come and gather together for the supper of the great God, that you may eat the flesh of kings, the flesh of captains, the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses and of those who sit on them, and the flesh of all people, free and slave, both small and great. And I saw the beast, the kings of the earth, and their armies gathered together to make war against him who sat on the horse and against his army. Then the beast was captured, and with him the false prophet, who worked signs in his presence, by which he deceived those who received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped his image. These two were cast alive into the lake of fire, burning with brimstone. And the rest were killed with the sword, which proceeded from the mouth of him who sat on the horse. And all the birds were filled with their flesh. Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, having the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. And he laid hold of the dragon, that serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years." And he cast him into the bottomless pit and shut him up and set a seal on him so that he should deceive the nations no more till the thousand years were finished. But after these things, he must be released for a little while. You may be seated. So the first thing we can notice as we look on this passage in verse 11 is that Jesus can be trusted to do the right thing. In verse 11 it says, Now I saw heaven opened, and behold a white horse, and he 
who sat on him was called faithful and true, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. And so Jesus can be trusted because he is faithful and true. He is not the type of leader who makes campaign promises and then when he is elected, promptly forgets everything that he promised to do. He's not the type of leader who is going to get carried away and punish the wicked more harshly than the wicked should be punished. He's not the type of leader who's going to get carried away and accidentally punish the innocent along with the wicked. He's not the type of leader that's going to look the other way and allow the the wicked to go unpunished, but he is going to do exactly what is right, no more and no less. And he is able to judge righteously because he sees the truth. And in verse 12, it says, his eyes were like a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. He has a name written that no one knew except himself. And so his eyes are like a flame of fire. Now, it's not that seldom that I'm working on a project on my workbench and I drop something on the floor. And so then I get down on my hands and knees and I crawl around in the sawdust and the iron filings and the dust and try to find the spring or screw or whatever it is I dropped on the floor and I just can't find it. And finally I get up and I grab a flashlight and turn on the flashlight and then I can see the thing that I dropped. But Jesus doesn't need a flashlight because his eyes are like a flame of fire. They provide the light that he needs so that he's able to look into any situation and perfectly see illuminated the truth of what is going on. And so nothing can be hidden from him. And so verse 13 then reminds us that Jesus is the word of God. He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood and his name is called the word of God. And you may remember in John 1 that it tells us that in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. And it says that he is the only begotten of the father full of grace and truth. And so Jesus Christ, as the word of God, is God the Son, the eternal word of God. He is the perfect expression of everything God is. And so as Jesus is coming to earth, God the Son is coming to earth. God is coming to earth to fully reveal himself to mankind. And when Jesus returns, according to verse 14, then the army of heavens, the armies of heaven will follow him. It says, and the armies in heaven clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. And who are the armies of heaven? And of course, the armies in heaven include myriads and myriads of angels, but it is not only angels that are in the armies of heaven. 
but it also consists of those who have put their faith in Jesus Christ. If uh, you would like, you can turn over to 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. In verse 13, and um, I'm picking up, I'm going to go back to 12 just to pick up context. And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love to one another and to all just as we do to you, so that he may establish your hearts blameless and holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. And of course, we can remember that when the Bible is talking about saints, it's not talking about super Christians that are better than all the rest of us everyday Christians. But uh, as the Bible talks about saints, it's talking about every person who has been made holy through faith in Jesus Christ. And so we have been sanctified by faith in Jesus Christ. We are his saints, and we are going to be accompanying him as he returns. And so that means that if you are here this morning and you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ alone for salvation, that this event that we're talking about, you are going to be there. You also are going to be riding on a white horse clothed in clean linen, white, and following him as he rides to earth to deal with things down here once and for all. But in spite of the fact that myriads and myriads of angels and all of us and myriads and myriads of brothers and sisters of Jesus Christ uh, down throughout the ages are going to be following Jesus when he comes back on his white horse, he is going to be the one that's going to be doing all the work. We get to watch. So verse uh, 15 it says, now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword that with it he should strike the nations and he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of almighty God. You may remember back in Genesis 1 that in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth and that he did that by the word of his power. And so he said, let there be light and there was light. And he spoke and things came to pass. And so he made uh, the light and he uh, made uh, firmament and the heaven was on the one side and the earth was on the other. And then he, by his word, gathered the waters together into the seas and the dry land appeared. And uh, he filled it with plants and animals and filled the sea with fish and the sky with birds. And he did it all by the word of his mouth. And as Jesus returns to judge the earth, he is going to judge the earth by the power of the word of his mouth. And so he doesn't have to raise his right hand with his sword and swing it over the earth in order to accomplish his purpose, but he just has to speak the word, and it is done. Verse 16 then recognizes Jesus as the King of kings and Lord of lords, while verses 17 and 18 invite the birds to feast on his enemies. And he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written, the King of kings and Lord of lords. Then I saw an angel standing in the sun, and he cried with a loud voice, saying to all the birds that fly in the midst of heaven, come and gather together for the supper of the great God 
that you may eat the flesh of kings, the flesh of captains, the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses and those who sit on them, and the flesh of all people, free and slave, both small and great. Now, this is not a particularly pretty picture, but it's an accurate one. The results of sin down through the millennia have been very ugly. We've seen war, famine, disease, natural disaster, uh, human trafficking, and no end of other abominations committed as a result of sin. And when Jesus confronts sin, it's not going to be particularly pretty either. Well, as Jesus then comes to confront sin, the beast is going to gather his armies and try to stop Jesus. So in verse 19, and I saw the beast, the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war against him who sat on the horse and against his armies. And you may remember that the beast is a evil human ruler who during the time of the tribulation is going to arise to power in the world and that he's going to demand that all the people of the world should give allegiance to him by taking his mark and that those who don't, then he will behead or starve to death or eliminate in other unpleasant ways. And so the beast then has established his authority over the earth and as Jesus comes and he gathers the whole earth together to try to resist Jesus as he returns. And I don't know exactly what that resistance is going to look like. At that stage, you know, I don't know what the technological development or uh, lack thereof is going to be by that time. I don't know if they're going to be using ray guns or rifles or slingshots or rocks. But uh, they are going to do their best to resist Jesus as he comes to establish his kingdom over the earth. And as he comes to punish wickedness. And those who then fight against him as he returns are going to be defeated, as it says in verses 20 and 21. Then the beast was captured, and with him the false prophet who worked signs in his presence, by which he deceived those who received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped his image. These two were cast alive into the lake of fire burning with brimstone. And the rest were killed with the sword which proceeded from the mouth of him who sat on the horse. And all the birds were filled with their flesh. And so the beast, this evil human ruler and the false prophet who has deceived the earth to worship the beast are going to be cast alive into the lake of fire. And all of the rest of the wicked armies of the earth are going to be killed in that great battle. And then according to verse 20, verses 1 through 3, Satan will be bound for a thousand years. Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, having a key to the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. And he laid hold of the dragon, that serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. And he cast him into the bottomless pit and shut him up and set a seal on him so that he should deceive the nations no more till the thousand years were finished. But after these things, he must be released for a little while. 
And so there's going to be a period of a thousand years in which Satan will be unable to deceive the nations. Right now he is the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that rules in the sons of disobedience. And he is active in our world. He and his minions uh, deceiving people. But during this period of a thousand years, he is going to be bound in the bottomless pit. And the victory of Jesus Christ will be complete. And that brings us to the second major event of this passage, and that is the reign of Jesus for 1,000 years. And that's described in chapter 20, verses 4 through 6. And so I'll invite you to stand for the reading of that short passage of Scripture. Revelation 20, verses 4 through 6. And I saw thrones, and they that sat on them, and judgment was committed to them. Then I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for their witness to Jesus and for the word of God, who had not worshipped the beast nor his image, and had not received his mark on their foreheads or on their hands, and they lived and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. But the rest of the dead did not live again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is he who has part in the first resurrection. Over such, the second death has no power, but they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. You may be seated. And so the first part of verse four talks about a group of people to whom judgment is committed. It said, and I saw thrones and they that sat on them and judgment was committed to them. And this group consists of those who have put their faith in Jesus Christ. I'm going to read from 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 2 to 3. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 2 to 3, it says, Do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world will be judged by you, are you unworthy to judge the smallest matters? Do you not know that we shall judge angels? How much more things that pertain to this life? And so this group that is going to have judgment committed to them during the thousand-year reign of Jesus Christ on the earth consists of those who have put their faith in Jesus Christ. And so once again, if you are here this morning and you are a follower of Jesus Christ, if you have put your faith in him and are trusting in him alone to reconcile you to God and give you eternal life, then during this thousand-year reign of Jesus, you are going to sit on a throne and you are going to participate in his rule over the earth for that thousand years. Now, in the second half of verse 4, there's also another group who is going to live and reign with Christ during that thousand years. And it says then, then I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for their witness to Jesus and for the word of God, who had not worshipped the beast or his image, and had not received his mark on their foreheads or on their hands, and they lived and reigned with Christ 
for a thousand years. And this second group consists of those who were martyred for Jesus Christ during the course of the tribulation. The tribulation saints are going to join the believers of this present age and reign with Christ during that thousand years. Now, another word for 1,000 years is millennium. It comes from a Latin word that means 1,000 years. And so we're talking about the millennium here, this 1,000-year reign of Jesus Christ. This is the millennial kingdom of Jesus Christ. And verses 5 and 6 tell us that the unrighteous are only going to be resurrected after the millennium. And so it says, but the rest of the dead did not live again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is he who has part in the first resurrection. Over such the second death has no power, but they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him 1,000 years. And so the resurrection prior to the millennium is a blessing for two reasons. First of all, it's a blessing because you get to enjoy the blessings of the millennium. You get to reign with Christ for a thousand years. And it's also a blessing because those who have shared in this first resurrection are not going to experience the second death, which we will talk about a little more later. But this millennial period that we're going to be experiencing, that we're going to be sharing in Jesus Christ's rule during this millennial period, is described many, many places in the Bible. I'd like to briefly just look at three passages from the Old Testament that talk a little bit about what is in store during the millennium, uh, just to provide some context. The first passage I'd like to look at is Isaiah chapter 11. And I'd like to read verses 1 through 9. It says, There shall come forth a rod from the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. The Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge, and of the fear of the Lord. His delight is in the fear of the Lord, and he shall not judge by the sight of his eyes, nor decide by the hearing of his ears. But with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. He shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips he shall slay the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his loins and faithfulness the belt of his waist. The wolf also shall dwell with the lamb. The leopard shall lie down with the young goat. The calf and the young lion and the fatling together and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze, their young one shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play by the cobra's hole, and the weaned child shall put his hand in the viper's den. They shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And then I'd like to turn over to Amos chapter 9, verses 13 to 15. Amos 
And in Amos chapter 9, verses 13 through 15, it says, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when the plowman shall overtake the reaper and the treader of grapes, him who sows seed, and mountains shall drip with sweet wine and all the hills shall flow with it. I will bring back the captives of my people Israel. They shall build the waste cities and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and drink wine from them. They shall also make gardens and eat fruit from them. I will plant them in their land, and no longer shall they be pulled up from the land I have given them, says the Lord. And finally, I'd like to look at Micah chapter 4, verses 1 through 4. It says, Now it shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established in the top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills and people shall flow to it. Many nations shall come and say, come and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways and we shall walk in his paths. For out of Zion the law shall go forth and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between many peoples and rebuke strong nations afar off. They shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war any more. But everyone shall sit under his vine and under his fig tree, and no one shall make them afraid, for the mouth of the Lord of hosts has spoken. And so there is a time of great blessing coming that has never been experienced here on the face of the earth since Adam and Eve chose to rebel against God until that great day comes. The millennium is going to be a wonderful time and it's going to be wonderful ruling with Jesus Christ during the millennium. But in spite of the fact that the millennium is a wonderful time, it's going to be followed by a final rebellion. And so in Revelation chapter 20, I'd like to read verses 7 to 10. And please stand for this portion. Revelation 20, verses 7 to 10. Now when the thousand years have expired, Satan will be released from his prison and will go out to deceive the nations which are in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle, whose number is as the sand of the sea. And they went up on the breath of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints in the beloved city. And fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. The devil who deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone, where the beast and the false prophet are. And they will be tormented day and night, forever and ever. And you may be seated. And so verse 7 tells us that at the end of this thousand years, Satan is going to be released from the bottomless pit. It says, now when the thousand years have expired, Satan will be released from his prison. And then verse 8 tells us that the nations of the world are going to rally to Satan when that happens. It says, and will go out and deceive the nations which are in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, and gather them together to battle, whose number is as the sand of the sea. And that, of course, uh, brings us to two questions. Who 
are these nations and why do they rally to Satan? And I believe that these nations consist of the children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren and great-great-grandchildren of those tribulation saints who are not killed during the tribulation. And so, of course, we know that those who take the mark of the beast during the tribulation are all to be killed at the end of the tribulation. And we know that most of those who do not take the mark of the beast are killed by the beast during the tribulation. But it seems like a small group survives the tribulation without taking the mark of the beast. And during the millennium, this small group of survivors of the tribulation becomes fruitful and multiplies and fills the earth. And so then the question is, why do the majority of the descendants of the survivors of the tribulation choose to rebel against God? They've grown up in a perfect world. They've grown up under perfect rule, but they face the same decision that all of us face. And that decision is, will I trust Jesus Christ alone or will I go my own way? And most of them are going to choose to go their own way. They're going to say, I would rather serve Satan than serve God. And this shows that our problem as human beings is not a bad environment. The problem is our heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. And so we don't rebel against God because our parents didn't raise us right, though our parents didn't perfectly raise us right. Or we don't rebel against God because we were poor or we don't rebel against God because we were rich or we don't rebel against God for any other reason than that we're rebels. And so these people then, as they have the choice to say, I cannot save myself. I am a sinner and I need to trust in Jesus Christ alone for salvation. Having the choice between doing that and between saying, you know what? I am sick of having Jesus boss us around all the time. I would rather do things my own way, and I'm willing to ally with Satan in order to overthrow God so that I can do what I want to do. And so the majority of the people on the face of the earth at the end of the millennium are going to ally with Satan against God in spite of the perfect conditions that they've experienced up to that time. And in verse 9, then, these rebels are going to be destroyed with fire from heaven. It says, they went up on the breadth of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints in the beloved city. And fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. And then in verse 10, Satan himself is finally cast into the lake of fire. It says, the, de the devil who deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone, where the beast and the false prophet are and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. And then that brings us to the great white throne judgment. And I'll ask you to stand one more time this morning 
as we read from Revelation chapter 20, verses 11 through 15. It says, Then I saw a great white throne, and him who sat on it, from whose face the earth and heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God, and books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things which are written in the books. The sea gave up the dead who were in it, and death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them, and they were judged, each one according to his works. Then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. You may be seated. And so verse 11 tells us that this will be a terrifying judgment. It says, Then I saw a great white throne, and him who sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was no place found for them. The present heaven and the present earth are marred by sin and will flee from the faith of God like Adam and Eve fled from God in the Garden of Eden. And like Adam and Eve, there will be no place to hide. And in verse 12, then we see that at this time of judgment, there will be books and that there'll be another book. It says, and I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God and books were opened and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. And so the books contain the works of each person. The books tell what every person has done, whether good or bad. Verse 13, all who are not part of the first resurrection are going to stand in the second judgment. The sea gave up the dead who were in it, and death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one according to his works. And so the bodies of all people who were not raised in the first resurrection are going to be raised and they're going to stand by God. And they're going to be judged according to their works. And then based upon what is written in the books, based upon their works, they're going to be cast into the lake of fire unless their names are written in the book of life. Verses 14 to 15, then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Now, those of us who were followers of Jesus Christ, our uh, time of standing before God's throne will have come before this. We will not be standing before the great white throne judgment. Uh, we will be part of the first resurrection. But everyone who is not part of the first resurrection will be standing before God at this judgment. And they're going to come and, all right, let's see what's here, what you did. And based upon what people did, they will not be found righteous 
in God's eyes. And so then the question is, is your name written in the book of life? And so we mentioned those tribulation, those survivors of the tribulation and their children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren, et cetera, et cetera, all of their descendants. We said most of them will not trust in Jesus Christ and will join in the final rebellion, but not all of them. And so some of them will have put their faith in Jesus Christ and their names will be written in the Lamb's Book of Life as our name, if we trust in him, is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. And so they will not be cast into the lake of fire, but all others will. Because the judgment that our works merit is the lake of fire. All of us have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And the wages of sin is death. And that death is fulfilled in the second death, which is the lake of fire. But there is another book, the book of life. And the book of life contains the name of all who put their faith in Jesus Christ. Because it's not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy that he saves us. And we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace. And so during this great white throne judgment, those who trust in Jesus Christ will be saved just as we will have been saved. And those who do not trust in him will be lost forever. Now it's possible that we have someone here this morning or viewing online or somehow within the sound of my voice who has not yet put their faith in Jesus Christ. And if that is the case, then your name is not yet written in the Lamb's book of life. And you are not yet then destined to return with Jesus Christ when he comes to rule over the earth. You're not destined to rule with him during the millennium. Instead, you're destined, if things do not change, for a second death in the lake of fire. But you do not need to die. God has already demonstrated his love for you in that while you were a sinner, Christ died for you. And he is not willing that any should perish but that all should come to repentance. And he takes no joy in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked will repent and turn from their sins and be delivered from them. Jesus Christ experienced death so that you would not have to. And he rose again from the dead to give new life, if you will simply put your faith in him. And so if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And so if you do not belong to him, 
I would urge you, come to Jesus Christ and receive eternal life through faith in him. And if you are a child of God through faith in Jesus Christ, then this passage reminds us that whatever the sorrows and sufferings and difficulties that we may have experienced and that we may be experiencing and that we may experience in the future, we know that our ultimate future is safe in God's hands and that the day is coming when Jesus Christ is going to come back here to earth riding on a white horse in order to rule in righteousness for a thousand years and that those of us who trust in him are going to accompany him as he comes and we're going to rule with him during that time. And the reason that we can do that is because of what he did for us on the cross in bearing the penalty that we deserved and reconciling us to God through himself, through his blood. Thanks for listening. We hope that what you heard inspires you to take the next step in your faith. If you have questions about this message or would like more information about our church, we invite you to check us out at fbczealand.org or call us at 616-772-4377.